Should we just start with our uh, out-of-context summary points? I like it. Let's start it. It was a little harder for me to come up with some this time. This one, there wasn't much going on. Yeah, and I I haven't watched Chapter 6 yet, so I had to just remember what happened, and I couldn't find many random little things to reference, but here we go. It might be kind of a weak one, but our out-of-context summary points in this episode we learn that Kashiwagi has a hidden talent, we get a nosebleed, and we fight in a poop tube. Opening scene, Kiryu and Nishiki are at the batting cages, and they talk about Kiryu officially joining up with Tachibana Real Estate and now being a legit real estate agent. We learn that Tachibana Real Estate is helping Kiryu clear his name from the murder investigation. If he can delay a homicide investigation... Mm-hmm. that's that's a, an intense network and it just it tells us more about how hard this guy has been working and how deep his network goes we we get that brief little nugget of how much he's done for himself because he got to control all the lightings it may not be consistent that he was able to hold it off for so long but it was just like that first glimpse that this guy is really powerful and here's another another glimpse to it so now Kiryu asks Nishiki for his help getting a new suit because he has to do legit real estate work now, so he needs to look less like a Yakuza. So he and Nishiki leave the batting cage and head to the suit store where Kiryu decides on a new suit. Kiryu is going to go meet with Oda, but before they split, Nishiki warns him that Kuze is on a warpath and is out to end him. The whole changing in the wardrobe is... Just as almost as a metaphor for Kiryu to show that he's blossoming into a new person. And there are hints of him that are still there because no matter, as Nishiki said, no matter what he changes, he still looks like a Yakuza, which, yes. But the whole new clothing, new new Kiryu. He's got a new look. Uh, this chapter is called An Honest Living, and he's trying. As much as he wants to look that part with the new suit, it just doesn't fit him. And that honest living lifestyle just doesn't fit him. The character arc of Kiryu in the first two episodes, we constantly see him just being still unsure of himself. And so he's still at the stage where he's just trying to figure out not only who he is now, because now he doesn't have that Yakuza identity. What does he represent? And the whole idea of the just trying new clothing, but still not quite there yet. It's just showing that for his character, he hasn't quite figured it out yet. So you have white, which makes him very disco-y, but then it doesn't really suit his facial expression and his personality. Then you have Nishiki who has something wearing something brighter. I think it's like a burgundy kind of color, and it just it fits his little really happy, poppy personality. And then you have Awano with the purple, and... He's just, he's gross. I have notes on that. And it's just like the the colors. And so there's something about the outfits. And then you have Majima with something just clean cut. And it fits the whole manager look. And so I think Kiryu is still in the stages of just trying to fit into what his outfit says about him. Yes. And then I just picked up on something. I realized that um, he's not wearing his chain anymore with this new suit. But his, uh, his shirt is a chain pattern. When Majima is just out on the street, he he has his bow tie off and his shirt collar kind of open and he's got a chain on. But then when he's working at the Grand, he's 
like shirts closed, you can't see the chain. So I don't know if the, the chains, if that had some sort of connotation like with the Yakuza in the 80s. So maybe his new suit, like he doesn't have the chain, so he's trying to look more legit, but there's still that chain pattern in the shirt. So there's still that hint of the Yakuza on him. And I'm wondering too, did he already have the chain? You know that in that photo of him and Kazama and Nishiki in that, that when they're at the, the picture that Tachibana hands over to him in episode two, I believe. I wonder if he was already wearing that chain at that time or was the chain given to him after he joined the Yakuza? That's a good question. I don't um, yeah. I don't think we ever know that. We could go back to the flashback of him and Nishiki in the orphanage. Yeah. I mean, we do you want to look at that real quick? I do. I'm, I'm kind of curious, but you're going to have to be okay. the one who does it because I don't have Oh, yeah. The, I'll pull it up. Uh, he appears to not be wearing a chain. We know for sure he wasn't in the Yakuza at that time of the flashback. I think, like, a group of people who designed all the, like, the photos and all these subtle details for Yakuza Sierra are probably very happy that we're analyzing every single detail like this. They're probably really happy. They're just like, I just liked how it looked. Like, why are they hmm? talking about it like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, but mystery solved. I think mm-hmm. from context, the chain has just something to do with being in the Yakuza. Like, it's just a style perhaps yeah we'll have um, to look into that yeah we should look into that but i just wanted to say that i i like this scene between kiryu and nishiki because it gives us some more insight on their relationship you know we see them joking around and kiryu tells nishiki things that he wouldn't tell anybody else and then at the end nishiki like warns him about kuze and then says call me anytime so it's just a nice little insight into their relationship i think it's uh seeing this added depth to their relationship is important to uh, for the future scenes in this chapter and then also in the next chapter to kind of understand why certain characters made decisions that they did i think it's nice again kind of emphasize it that kirio no matter what happens to him he always has nishiki to be the person who he can trust and share all his findings and everything. Exactly. He has that, that rock, that person who's still looking out for him. Okay, so Kiryu arrives at the cafe to meet Oda. He doesn't like Kiryu's new suit. And then I guess to fix the suit, Oda gives him glasses to look smarter, more professional. I don't know, but he's wearing glasses. And then Oda tells him that they're going to be meeting with one of their regulars who needs help getting rid of a squatter. And this is when Grumpy Kiryu kind of comes out in full force. He's not having any of this. He's out of his element. He's only doing this because it's his only option. So then the client named Yamanoi. That sounded weird, but I think I said it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the client arrives. They have their meeting. And he wants them to negotiate with the squatter on his behalf. After the meeting, Oda asks Kiryu to go get a confectionery box for a meeting that they're going to have with the squatter. Again, it's like the the glasses elevate him changing outfits is already like one step away from the Yakuza life. And now glasses is another step away, further away. Yeah, so like, what, do Yakuza only wear contacts? Is that <laughs> Probably. I mean, if you're going to go into a fist fight, they're going to come at you with the at the glasses and hopefully the glass breaks your <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, fair point. <laughs> I don't wear glasses. I don't know if you can tell from my ignorance. 
No, I, <laughs> that's for glasses wearers. That is a, a very irrational fear, <laughs> and so that's why I wear glasses. I uh, contacts now. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So Kiryu now has the confection box and meets Oda at the building. They go up to the room where the squatter is staying, and they're pretty polite to him. But then they sort of force their way into the room, and they use the gift box to do this. Um, Oda kind of hands it to him through the door, and when he removes his hands from the door, the squatter, to grab the box, Oda just sort of forces his way in. That's definitely a way, a tactic that they've probably been using for this entire time as they're building their empire, because they know without anything, they're probably not going to, like, why should they even open the door for you? But they know that maybe this is a way to lure them out. It's got me on edge now. If anyone ever sends me a gift box or just tries to hand me a package, I'm keeping my foot on the door. (laughs) (laughs) And now that they're in, Oda hints that the squatter needs to move out, but he responds that he's not going anywhere and cites some civil code that is allowing him to stay. And towards the end of the conversation, the squatter says, why don't you bring the owner by? To which Oda responds, why don't you bring the Yakuza that you work for? So they're not able to negotiate, so they leave and are outside of the building where they run into a pack of Yakuza who control the squatter. So it becomes apparent that luring the Yakuza out was all part of Oda's plan, and then now the Yakuza are trying to negotiate with them, but those negotiations fail as well. And it's pretty clear that Oda brought Kiryu along just to fight them. They defeat the Yakuza. And this is when Kiryu learns that they're under Awano's family. The squatter comes outside, sees the unconscious Yakuza. And this convinces him to leave the building. Minus the beating of the Yakuza, the way Oda is showing Kiryu how they approach this kind of situation with overly politeness in a passive way is very similar to how Majima does his connections business Mm. is using politeness first before using uh, any violence. They try to use their politeness and shift the focus away from saying that I'm going to come in fist flying. Yeah, it seems like uh, Kiryo is saying some finesse, I guess, for the first time. Even in chapter one, he mentions that Kazuma knew all he could do was fight. And then in the meeting with Yamanui, the client, he mentions, like, what, we want to pay the squatter to leave? Why don't we just, like, force him out? So his first instinct is always fighting. So this is kind of interesting, I think, for him to see. I think it teaches him a lot that he will use uh, throughout the series. I think the title of this episode is really great because it's just showing him that there's more to life and living than what he knew. Yeah, there's more than one way to get the job done. Even though in the end he did have to beat a bunch of people up to get the job done. Well, I think that's for the sole purpose of the gamer's the gameplay. benefit. Of, yeah, it is. Yeah, It's just kind of funny. It's ironic. <laughs> Moving right along, Kiryu finds Yamanoi. Yamanoi asks Kiryu to help in his real estate business and mentions that he knows or knew Kazuma. And does everybody know this man? Why does everybody have a backstory or some Apparently. connection to Kazuma? What is going on? 
Who is this old real estate guy? <laughs> Kazawa probably had such a wide network. He must be one of those philanthropists that are just like going around gathering favors from everyone from every part of the entire city or maybe the country. It's just, <laughs> it's just insane. And he leaves the office to go meet with Oda at Serena. And while he's on his way there, we get scenes of the inside of the bar. And I love this scene, this sort of intro scene introducing the bar to us. It's so moody. So Kiryu is now in the bar where we meet Reina, who is the owner of the bar. And then we see Nishiki sitting at the bar. And this is apparently is a regular hangout for him. He says that the, the higher-ups in the Yakuza haven't found it yet, so he's able to drink in peace. So they're killing time while he waits for Oda. And Kiryu's still being kind of grumpy. But Nishiki kind of is able to get him out of his funk. He degrumps him. And Nishiki sings karaoke. And Kiryu is cheering along. And was that Kashiwagi on the keyboard? No, I, I didn't pay attention to it. I was too happy that you chose um, Judgment as a song to do the karaoke to. One of my favorite songs so far out of the only one songs I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get to a screenshot. I'm pretty sure it's him on the keyboard. Just pay attention, like, over here. On the right side. Yeah, okay. watch on the keyboard. <laughs> Is that Kashiwagi? Oh my gosh, wait. I think you might be right. So they finish karaoke, and at this point, Oda is very late, and a few minutes later, he comes stumbling in, covered in blood, and face plants onto the floor. He is closely followed by some Yakuza, including Awano, who's bringing up the rear, and we learn that these Yakuza are the same ones that were backing the squatter who Kiryu just demolished. Awano mentions that Tachibana Real Estate has been stepping on Tojo toes for a while and is pretty irritated to find that Kiryu has joined up with them. One of the Yakuza named Okabe lost a finger for the squatter deal falling through. And now Kiryu's got two pinkies to his name. He's got Kuze's and Okabe's pinkies. I don't know if he'll have any more. Is it enough to make one hand? We don't know. Can you imagine a hand made out of five pinkies? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, not good. good. So as Alano is talking to Kiryu, Nishiki, who is still seated at the bar, decides to interject, at which point Alano grabs his head and slams his face into the bar top. Okabe says that he wants revenge on Kiryu, so they take him out back while Alano stays in to deal with Nishiki. So they're outside in the back lot, and Kiryu is tired of Okabe and starts a fight and defeats all of them, and then Awano comes out to talk to him. And he tries to punch him in the face, but Awano grabs his fist, and instead they just have a conversation. Awano thinks that Kazuma is behind Tashibata Real Estate because of the empty lot, and he asks Kiryu some questions and says that he loves how easy Kiryu is to read. He essentially asks Kiryu now to sell out Tachibana, offering to forget about the squatter incident and the whole empty lot debacle. Awano says that refusing would result in the whole Dojima family coming after him. He also threatens Nishiki, saying that he's next after Kiryu if he is to refuse. Pretty unfortunate that both of them were at the bar. And this is when they're starting to realize that they 
even though they have each other's support, they're also, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Ah, oh, dang it. What is the word? What letter does it start with? I don't know. I need to find this word or I'm going to have diarrhea. <laughs> I love how diarrhea is the first thing that comes to mind when can't <laughs> can't poop this word out. Kathy, help. What, what's the, what are synonyms of it? It's, it's a weakness. It's, oh, it's a, like a chink in his armor. It's a way for people to get to him. His downfall? Kind of. We're getting closer. <laughs> downfall. Deficiency. Almost. His fault. Um, his shortcoming? Closer. We're getting closer. Keep clicking on the his word. undoing? Cl- cl- uh, back it up. <laughs> <laughs> his undoing or his rune? Um. <laughs> The dismantle? No. The sabotage? No. His liability? Ah! <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh my gosh, my sound waves just spiked. I'm writing it my down. Dear. How the hell did I not think of that word? Thank you so much. You cured me from my diarrhea. <laughs> okay. Let me start that over. Yeah. So then he also threatens Nishki saying that He's next after Kira if he refuses and even says, you keep this up, he's collateral damage. So Kiryu is learning that, you know, even though it's great to have Nishiki as a rock, he's also... (laughs) 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 He's also realizing that that also makes him a liability. It makes him a way for Kiryu to be manipulated. But at this point, Kiryu is feeling the pressure so he asks Aono what he's gonna do with Tachibana and Aono says basically he's gonna beat him up and probably kill him to make an example with you know what happens when you screw with the Tojo clan and then he gives Kiryu a timeline of until the morning to decide and if they don't hear from him by then then the hunt is on and Kiryu is a full-fledged target of the Dojima family. Aono is just he's so Rose because he goes to Raina is like I'll stay with you for this hot what is he call he calls her a hot mama and I, and just like the look she has on his face like she's so grossed out by him. So I want to talk about what Aono might be saying to Nishiki. We don't know what Aono says, but I just think I don't want to skate over the importance of that conversation that we didn't get to see. And that'll come into play next chapter, and we'll talk more about it then. Oh, I mean, I don't even know how to start this. Me neither. I mean, are we ready to start? Yeah, I am ready. I'm going to grab my notes. Well, this is, this is it. This is chapter six, The Yakuza Way. After Awano gives Kiryu his ultimatum, Kiryu goes back into Serena. Oda guesses basically exactly what Awano said, which was that he wants Kiryu to sell out Tachibana. And we mentioned this a little bit at the end of the last chapter, but it's pretty clear that Awano worked over Nishiki. Nishiki said that he, he wants to make sure you know giving up Tachibana is the only way you get out of this alive. I think uh, Awano just came down pretty hard on Nishiki and probably threatened Kiryu. We know that Awano threatened Nishiki to Kiryu, so I'm sure that he did the reverse as well. And overall, I just think Nishiki is scared for Kiryu. Kiryu is doing the same thing he did like in episode one, where he doesn't care about the consequences he's going to do 
what he thinks is right. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing of what got him in this mess is he doesn't care what everyone is saying. He's just going to do whatever he thinks is right. Exactly. And yeah, it's at this point when Oda sort of starts to grill Kiryu about what he's going to do. And that kind of angers Nishiki. And he says, it'll be Kiryu's head if it's not Tachibana's. And then during this conversation, Kiryu kind of has to hold back Nishiki two separate times. He's really mad. He's really mad at Oda. He's really mad at the situation. And I think Kiryu's continuing, and now we physically see it, to not let Nishiki get involved. And it's starting to drive Nishiki crazy. I think this is the scene where you really start to see, like, Kiryu's controlling Nishiki, and it's it's just not working anymore. I think this is one of the times where we also see Nishiki's more serious look in a way where he's always been playful. There's a few times where he was worried about Kiryu, but at this point, Nishiki's at his end of his line. He doesn't trust that Kiryu is making the best choice and he's starting to question how sound Kiryu's judgment is. Mm -hmm. So Nishiki's done. He doesn't trust that Kiryu knows what's best for himself. Yeah, well, and Ano just suggested, I think that's like in quotes, he threatened Nishiki to get Kiryu to hand him over. So now it's it's just more immediate, it's more imminent that he needs to help Kiryu, but Kiryu's still physically holding him back. And this is when Oda starts to reveal that Kazuma and Tachibana's plan is not quite going as expected. They'd hoped to have the empty lot owner by now. And Nishiki again chimes in and says, like, you guys underestimate Awano. He's smarter than he looks. Oda calls Tachibana and tells him to hide. And now nobody, including Oda, knows where he is. And then now Nishiki is really pissed <laughs> because Oda just took away the only option to save Kiryu and get him off the hit list. It's kind of hard to blame Oda for doing what he's doing because... Oda's loyalty to Tachibana is no different than Nishiki's loyalty to Kiryu. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's there's justification in, in the way Nishiki's acting and the way Oda is. But Kiryu's in that unique position where he knows how the the Dojima family and how the, those three lieutenants are acting. Yet he also knows how Tachibana acts. And so Kiryu has both perspectives on it and I think he can make a wise decision but Nishiki doesn't know anything more and same goes for Oda and so they're thinking each other are incorrect in their decision making. At this point Kiryu just walks away and he's just gonna leave without saying a word until Nishiki asks him what his plan is. I think he knows that he can't change anyone's mind that whatever he's gonna do He's going to have someone be opposed to it. So why try to find a middle ground if that middle ground is not what he's going to do? He's not going to try to put any effort in making other people feel good about his decision. Yeah, that's true. Last time that he tried, Kashiwagi punched him in the face. <laughs> Maybe he's just trying to avoid that again. Mm -hmm. All right, so Kiryu leaves the bar and heads to the empty lot to see if he can get any remaining information or clues from the scene. And then Tachibana walks up behind him. He's been looking into Kuze using his network, and he says that if Kuze did frame Kiryu, then he must have hired a hitman, but he sees no sign of this, so he thinks that someone else is responsible for setting up Kiryu. Then he goes on to tell Kiryu that he's staying in Kamurocho despite Oda's phone call, and that he has found 
the owner of the empty lot. And then he asks Kira to just stay alive. Kira responds by saying, you know, I could just turn you in right now and get taken off the hit list. And then Tachibana responds, I wouldn't be here if that's the kind of man I thought you were. I just thought of something um, when Tachibana says that he trusts the kind of man that Kiryu is. At the same time, Mm -hmm. we know his network is insane. And he just found Kiryu. Like, I'm assuming he has eyes on him. He's watching him. And that's how he knew where to find him. So even if Kiryu was going to come after him, he would probably know. And he'd probably be able to escape it. So do you think he really trusts Kiryu? Or do you think he just trusts his network to know if he went after him it wouldn't be that big of a deal he could get away i actually already comment saying that the trust and versus mistrust in each other is monumental but i do think that tachibana trusts kiryu enough because of who he thinks he is based on whatever kazama is vouching for him mm-hmm. i think the whole having enough networking is a backup plan, like almost like a security for for making sure that he's not going to get backstabbed by Kiryu. But I don't think that's the primary reason why he trusts Kiryu. I think mm-hmm. it's based off of Kazama vouching for him. Right. Here's my theory that I just came up with. I mm-hmm. think uh, Tachibana is trying to get Kiryu to trust him in this moment. I think he knows that with his network, he can afford to be vulnerable in front of Kiryu and say, like, I trust you. I know that you wouldn't turn me over. Mm -hmm. So I think he's secure enough to Mm -hmm. be able to say that. And he's saying it to earn Kiryu's trust because he is a pivotal part in his plan succeeding with the empty lot. It cuts to the Kazuma family office where all the higher ups are gathered waiting for a call from Kiryu. The clock reaches the timeline and his time is up so Amano calls dojima and informs him that it's time to end kiryu and then we sort of see some tension between Awano and kuze here Awano is taking the lead on this and is issuing orders to kuze kashiwaki looks like what was it is it gil from finding nemo <laughs> stop Do you know who i'm talking about pull up a picture <laughs> let me let me share screen <laughs> You're not wrong. He's got the scar and everything. Mm-hmm. Near the lip and the eye and everything. I love it. <laughs> but now Amino questions Kashiwagi slash the Kazuma family and says they should work twice as hard to find Kiryu since they brought him into the family. Kashiwagi plays along, but then as people start to file out of the room, he and Nishiki exchange a look and a nod. And I feel like this is a little risky. It was pretty obvious uh, they were basically the only two people staying in the room and not walking out. And then they nod to each other right in front of Awano. It seemed a little risky, but that's just me. It's down to Nishikin in Kashiwagi being put in the spot of how do we protect Kiryu without throwing ourselves under the bus mm-hmm. or betraying, balancing our loyalties to the Dojima family and our loyalty to our friend Kiryu. Yeah, basically, like, how do we all not end up dead, I think is mm-hmm. the main question. Yeah. But right before this nod scene, Kuze sends everybody out to start the hunt for Kiryu and says that he wants him alive. All right, so then we get back to Kiryu, who is in the streets trying to avoid detection, where... 
a stripper starts talking to him. And she tells him that there are tunnels accessible through the back of the club she works in. And it's Kiryu's only option, so he follows her inside. The stripper shows him to the tunnels, which are sewers. And he starts walking down the tunnel, then he starts running. And then all of a sudden there's a flash of light. And lo and behold, it's Kuze on a motorcycle. He starts flying down the sewer towards Kiryu and smacks him straight in the arm with a lead pipe. Kiryu just stood there and took it. There was plenty of space, like maybe dive out of the way, but no. And I have to say, it could not have been easy to get a motorcycle into the sewer. So Kuze worked really hard <laughs> at getting his moment. And he had a and a crowbar in hand too. So either he brought that with him or he found it somewhere in the sewer. Yeah. Like he came prepared. He's like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get my stripper. She's going to lure him into the tunnels. I will get a motorcycle down there. Full speed. I'll whack him with this pipe. Done. He's out. We got him. But he miscalculated the strength of Kiryu's arm bones. He's totally fine. A little sore he appears, but other than that, he's fine. Kuze starts a monologue and starts talking about the Yakuza and saying it's not like boxing. You know, the man who gets beat down isn't the loser. It's the one who can't tough it out to the end. And he reveals here that he doesn't care about losing the captain's chair. He just wants to live. He just wants to be alive. Um, and so then this, number one, goes hand in hand with what Tachibana was just saying, that he doesn't think Kuze is behind framing Kiryu. Because if he doesn't care about the captain's chair, then there's not really any reason to frame him. And then that also makes you question, is Nishiki wrong that Kuze is the one that snitched and got Kazuma arrested? When we were talking about wearing chains uh, as a potentially representing the Yakuza, the, um, the sewer stripper is also wearing a chained <laughs> necklace. I love sewer stripper. <laughs> that's, her, that's her name. I mean, like they don't give her a name. We had to give her a little bit more personalization, so now she's sewer stripper. She's lucky that Kiryu is an eventual person for... <laughs> Her pretending to be all innocent and everything. Like, oh, I hate the Yakuza. Next thing, she's working for one. Yeah. I mean, he did say that he'd come back as a paying customer, but I think that deal's probably off the table now. Kuze continues in his little speech and says, A half-ass like you is the one thing I can't stand. So is he meaning because Kiryu left the family, he didn't give his pinky, he didn't turn himself in, he's not following the Yakuza code? Is that what makes him a half-ass? I thought it was more directed to how Kiryu is being so successful, yet he's doing so little mm. of it. Like he didn't go; he probably didn't go through the pains that Kuze's generation of yakuza's did. He isn't satisfied that he probably didn't have to sacrifice as much as him, and so I guess he's just mad that he's achieving so much. That's a good point. I was confused by this because he's like talking about loosely about fighting, but just in general, like not staying down, you know, getting back up, toughing it out to the end. And so is he mad because he left the family? Is that not, you know, toughing it out to the end? So I'm not sure, but I like I like your theory. I think it makes sense. It's ironic because Kuse was like, oh, you're, you're out of this family. He was the one who officially kicked Kiryu out of this family, yet now he's still mad at Kiryu for leaving, even though he was the reason why he's out of the family. I think he's just really sore that he lost the pinky and... Despite leaving the family, he's causing so much more issues for the family and everything. Mm -hmm. 
So I think he's just finding any reason to take out his anger on Kiryu. Yeah, and Nishiki did say in the last chapter that he's on a warpath. Kuze is pretty much done talking. He's getting ready to fight. He takes off his glasses and just... He throws them in the poop water. He throws his glasses in the poop water. You can't wear those again. So he throws his glasses down in the poop water and the fight in the poop tube begins. And of course, Kiryu defeats him. And he picks up the pipe that Kuze had and contemplates for a brief moment ending Kuze, but drops it and starts to walk away. At this point, Kuze says, get back here. You'll regret not taking the chance to kill me here. To which Kiryu responds, I've got my own brand of pride and plan to stick to it. And then he bows and walks away. So does he still have some respect for Kuze despite him, <laughs> I mean, being a giant pain in Kiryu's ass? This is the second time that we've seen him bow to him. I think it's the respect to another human. Just being a decent person in general, that's really what it is. I think it, again, proves that they don't need to kill to achieve what they need to do. The only reason I disagree with you is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever see him bow to anyone else except Kashiwagi, who we know he respects. So my question is just like, why out of anyone... Does he bow to Kuze? What is it about Kuze? You know what I mean? I have to ask, was the bowing before or after Kuze lost his finger? That first time he bowed. I believe it was before. Okay, because I almost, I was about to say that if it's after, it'd be considered as an apology. I'm pretty sure that the first bow is um, when Kuze tells him to leave his pinky and go turn himself in. I think he bows as he's leaving that meeting. So maybe at that point, it's still just more like what you do in the Yakuza to a superior. But now he's out of the Yakuza, but he's still doing that. So maybe he's just trying to, maybe it's even just a little nod to Kuze to say, I'm out of the family, but this is still important to me. The Yakuza is still important to me. So maybe that's all it is. That monologue that Kiryu just gave, it's a self-realization that he doesn't need to be Yakuza to achieve whatever goals and mission he wants to do. Before he was lost without the Yakuza identity, now he's starting to find himself. And I think that the by the end of this chapter, we'll see sort of like a, a transformation in Kiryu or a, a realization. So in his monologue, he says to Kiryu, a half-ass like you is the one thing I can't stand. And then he's upset when Kiryu doesn't like finish the job and kill him. So... Is him being left, you know, defeated in the sewer, does that make him a half-ass? Does that make him the thing that he can't stand? Or do you think he's still just, Kiryu's giving him that chance to continue to be the guy who's trying to tough it out to the end? I think it's neither, actually. I think it's, he's so insignificant that I'm not worried that you're going to come and retaliate. I'm not worried that you're going to come and get me. And if anything, try it again, because I'm just going to beat you again. And from Kuzi's perspective, here's the thing. Kuze tried really hard. He pretty much tried his best and he still couldn't kill Kiryu. So I think he's even more bloodthirsty. And so I, I, I don't think Kuze sees this as a failure. I think Kuze sees this as a challenge. And then I wonder if Kuze is just tired of failing. We already know he's kind of in hot water with the family. Now Awano's running the show. So maybe he just in this moment can't afford another failure. So he's just a little worried. 
about even just being alive and facing them. All right, so Kiryu walks down the sewer and finds a door, and on the other side awaits a very interesting scene. Um, it's weird. It's almost dreamlike. It almost has the same like energy as a perfume commercial where you don't know what the heck is going on. He enters. Awano's dancing. It's an empty club, but there's music. He's dancing with some lady. It's clear that he's expecting Kiryu. And Kiryu is rightfully confused, um, especially when Ano invites him to dance. And then Awano unleashes this scream, yell, howl. I don't know how to describe it, but we're going to listen to it. I have it pulled up. It's it's definitely like almost like a, a wolf howl. It's weird. <laughs> it's This whole scene is weird. But, it is. Uh, here we go. <laughs> It's like a cat screech. It does sound like a cat screech. And after this, Kiryu just tries to leave. Fair enough. I would too. But then the lights and the music turn off. And then Awano says that Kiryu has given him ammo to take down Kazuma and Kuze. One interesting thing about this is that he leaves Shibasawa off of that list of people to take down. Is he not a threat? Is he working with him? So Kiryu decides to hear Awano out. He visited Sunflower, Kiryu Onishiki's orphanage, and vaguely threatens the caretaker and the orphanage itself. Convincing Kiryu didn't work, so he's starting to move into threats and extortion, which he reveals is his specialty. But this quickly fails, too, and Kiryu tries to leave again, at which point Awano shoots the woman he was dancing with. And then he says that there's a bunch of guns waiting on the other side of the door. And he gives Kiryu a choice. Leave and die or team up with him and live the good life. But Kiryu responds, I make my choices on whether I love or hate. And I hate the idea of joining a guy like you. In fact, I would rather get shot. So he throws the doors open, but it's just a normal scene on the street. And he starts walking away. I did want to mention at the end of the last chapter when Awano gives Kiryu the ultimatum and mentions how easy it is for him to read Kiryu. But even though he's able to like spot the truth on Kiryu's face, it doesn't mean that he knows how to control him. And we see that playing out here when he fails three different tactics, you know, convincing, extorting, and threatening. Despite being able to read Kiryu, he's not predictable. Yeah. Which is they're different being able to read him but not knowing what he's going to do and Awano doesn't correctly predict that he's going to become friends with him and you have the other side those that can accurately predict him is Tachibana mm -hmm. he knew that Kiryu wasn't going to throw him under the bus and and then on the other hand you also have uh, Sagawa who's also correctly predicting what Majima is going to accept his offer and by forcing him in the mm -hmm. corner and everything. Yeah, that's a fair point. Because both Sagawa and Tachibana have at least background information on mm -hmm. the, the main characters they're associated with. So Kiryu is on the street walking away and Nishiki drives up and urges Kiryu to get in. So Kiryu gets in and he calls Nishiki an idiot and says that he's going to make himself a target. To which Nishiki responds, this is the last time I can help you out. And then they just drive out of Kamurocho. It's too dangerous, so they want to leave the city to get Kiryu some time. 
talking about being able to predict each other, Nishiki is able to uh, predict accurately what's going to happen next. So I just kind of going with that mm -hmm. theme. Well, hey, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> this is going to be what I think is the biggest scene in the game. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So they're driving down the road. It's nighttime. And they arrive in a wooded area just off the road. And they get out of the car. And Nishiki pulls out some cigarettes. They both take one. But Nishiki can't find his lighter. Kiryu pulls it out at this point. And he tries to get it back to Nishiki. But he responds, keep it. I won't ask for it again. So we see the return of the lighter that we saw in chapter one. But I wanted to just ask, is there a deeper meaning to the lighter? You know, that Nishiki let Kiryu hold on to it. That it made an mm -hmm. appearance. Like, what do you think the whole connection is with the lighter? I don't know. That's the thing is, I'm curious too what it means. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like there's an importance that maybe we're missing. But I just had a thought. We've seen a few times with Majima and I think with Kiryu. They light cigarettes for people above them. We saw Majima light Sagawa's cigarette. But it's like a respectful, like this is something you do to someone above you maybe. So maybe just from like the writing standpoint, before we see the scene play out, it's maybe more impactful if we first see Kiryu do something like light the cigarette for Nishiki. The one thing that brought them from being low-level Yakuza and slowly they're going to build their way up. And at one point, I think someone else is going to light their cigarettes. That's a good point. And actually, you just made me remember something from the first chapter when they're talking about the lighter. Nishiki is like, you still have my fancy new lighter. So he's talking about his fancy new lighter and his fancy new car. So maybe this lighter signifies like some level of his success within the Yakuza. And he lets Kiryu keep it. He lets Kiryu keep a physical object associated with his success in the Yakuza when he's just about to reveal that he, like, that life in his mind is done. So now Nishiki sort of walks out of frame behind Kiryu, and we hear him say off camera, be sure to savor it, brother. The camera starts to pan back and reveals Nishiki has a gun pointed at the back of Kiryu's head. And at this point, all the background noise stops and now it's just the sound of the gun cocking and Nishiki saying it's your last one make it count Kiryu responds isn't this going a little far for a prank does he not want to believe that this is real the way uh Nishiki leaves the scene is he isn't just like disappearing he literally turns his back as he walks backwards and I feel like that's a, a metaphor for turning his back on yeah. His brother. That's a good that's a good point. And then actually to build off of that, next in the scene, Kiryu tries to turn around to face Nishiki, but Nishiki gets really emotional and said like yells. And that burst of intense emotion is enough to kind of make Kiryu stop turning. And so they're still not able to face each other. And the but the other thing is that they've been friends for like a good two decades. I'm wondering if he knew and he is calm enough to state that. Like wouldn't he have looked over but I really do think that he knew that was what Nishiki was gonna do. Yeah, and I think he thinks like because when he says he's going a little far for a prank and he tries to turn around, I think before he tries to turn around he still thinks like he's just 
being emotional. Like he was kind of expecting something like this, like you said, but he didn't expect Nishiki to be so serious about it, I think. And you see him kind of get caught off guard when he tries to turn around and Nishiki gets so upset that he stops turning. So I think up until the turn, he is thinking that there's just, he's going to be able to talk him out of it. This is just an overreaction. And I think in that moment when he tries to turn around, he realizes like he hasn't quite understood the severity of the situation. I think he thought he, like you, he could persuade Nishiki because in that first time when they're at Kashiwagi's place, they didn't agree. They didn't see eye to eye. But in the end, Nishiki was the one who drove him to the -hmm. headquarters. I think this, he thought it was going to be the same. Kiryu asks, are these the family orders, Nishiki? And in response, he says, they've got nothing to do with it. And then he gets pretty emotional still and sort of is just screaming. You know what they do to guys that screw up this bad? They're experts in torture. And they make damn sure it lasts. They make it hurt as bad as possible, as long as possible. So now we know Nishiki did this on his own. And this goes back again. I know I keep saying it, but goes back to what Awano must have said to him at Serena in combination with um, Kuze just saying that he wants Kiryu alive. So that's even more pressure on Nishiki to not let Kiryu get captured and be tortured. Additionally, but this gives us a little bit more insight into what exactly Majima went through in the hole for an entire year. Well, that was actually my next point is I was going to bring up the... This is a prime example of the whole Majima situation, his before yeah. story. I mean, from what Nishiki just described, you can understand like more more of what Majima went through. The whole, um, they make sure it lasts, and that is losing an eye. That pretty much is the best example of it. And the next sentence quotes, as long as possible, Majima is still in the jail of an entire city and that is just as long as possible until he leaves the city he cannot uh, get out of jail Mm -hmm. and so those are just like literally what's up with Majima's situation yeah we've seen the result of what happens to a person Majima was tortured he lost an eye now he's being controlled he's being forced to kill people it's not a good future and then we also know from what uh, Sagawa said most people don't come back from torture so there's really only one of two options get tortured to death or get released and face a new kind of torture so Nishiki keeps talking about what is bothering him and he says and when they find these bodies they're unrecognizable you can't even tell they're human anymore I feel like he just not only does he not want to lose Kiryu he doesn't want Kiryu to lose his humanity he doesn't want Kiryu to be so erased from the earth that it's like he didn't exist he continues to say that at this point I'm through as Yakuza too so that kind of goes back to a potential theory with the lighter and this also goes back to the liability that we were talking about of you know having your brother back you up but them also being a liability when you care too much about them and that sort of is connecting again back to Sagawa and Shimano when Sagawa mentions that he's loyal to Shimano, his brother, but he wouldn't ever throw his life away for him. So that's sort of a, a contrast between Kiryu and Nishiki's relationship. They're willing to die for one another, I think. 
And that's when the liability aspect comes into play with Sagawa and Shimano. There is no liability because Sagawa isn't willing to give up his life for him. And then Nishiki goes on to say, at least I can keep you from dying in pain. That's all I can do. So I think we've seen that he's been at a loss on how to help for this entire game so far. And now he's not just at a loss, he's scared and he's desperate. He feels useless and has ever since Kiryu made the decision on his own to leave the family. And I think Nishiki's not only feeling useless, but also helpless, which seems kind of the same, but they're a little different. But this is the only way that he can see of doing anything to protect Kiryu. But there is one point kind of touch on the liability part that you mentioned, is that Nishiki, in a way, is Kiryu's liability. But in a way, Kiryu is now becoming Nishiki's liability with whatever Awano is threatening, using Kiryu as a way to scare. And it's his actions that create that liability, Mm -hmm. not turning Tachibana in. And so I think there's part of it is Kiryu is still so naive into thinking that he can fix this. The whole can never be free. It's Majima, and whether you're in the Yakuza or not, you'll never be free once you are in and had some kind of relationship, even if you want to go back in or even if you want to leave, it still will find you. it's almost like making a deal with the devil. You're either on that path, which might not end well, or if you try to get out of it, they're going to come get you. This, like, desperate cry, this monologue that Nishiki has... The voice acting is fantastic. I mean, we both know a little bit of Japanese. I mean, you took like multiple years of it. Mine's a little bit more fresh than yours, but I don't know as much. So it's still hard to to hear it and know that it's good. But in this scene, it's not hard to hear it and know that it's good. And that's why I love the choice when they, they just they take out all the background noise. All you hear is Nishiki. And I'm so glad they did that because they didn't need background noise. This voice acting makes me want to cry. It's phenomenal. It's so good. This guy, the way his voice sounds like he has tears stuck in his throat. His voice is trembling and shaking. The whole point of us talking about the music setting the scene. You don't need any sad music. I can only focus on what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. I can't focus on anything else. I can't focus on the background music or anything that's going to blur and dilute the importance of this scene. Having music or even just the crickets that were in the scene earlier, it would distract from this and it's it's too good to be distracted from. So after Nishiki is done saying like this is all I can do, Kiryu drops his cigarette and is able to finally turn to Nishiki. And at this moment, the music starts back up. And I think this is when Kiryu finally understands what Nishiki has been going through. I think he's been so wrapped up in his own head, his own actions, and his, you know, just desperate attempts to make things right, that he's been too busy to really see and understand what's been going on with Nishiki. The first thing he says after turning around is, I'm sorry, it's my fault for putting you through all of this. And he's right. It's true. Like, he's kind of effed up Nishiki in this game so far. But then he goes on to say, I have one request. After you plug me, bring my head back to climb the ranks. It's up to you now. And now he's finally 
giving Nishiki some control. I think it's just, it's too little too late. This is not what Nishiki wants to be doing. And I think he thinks if you had let me take action sooner, if we had worked together, it wouldn't have come to this. He is so, again, naive into thinking that's going to solve the situation. It's the same thing as how he thinks that by leaving the Yakuza, Kazama is not going to get faulted. He thinks that bringing his head, Nishiki bringing his head will clear him of anything. But here's the thing. You can't redeem yourself once you did something Mm -hmm. wrong. So he gives Nishiki control of the situation. Nishiki backs up and says, don't look at me. And Kiryu's like, man, the F up, do it. You can't get to the top by crying. And this line, I feel like, is going to have a major impact on Nishiki's character that we will see play out in the next game. Nishiki shoots, but he didn't hit Kiryu. So Kiryu's like, aim carefully, I'm not dead yet. And I feel like this I'm not dead yet line has bigger implications to the game as a whole. I think he's showing Nishiki, despite everything that's happened, look, like, I am not dead. I should be dead, but I'm not dead yet. So, like, please keep fighting. Nishiki now falls to his knees, sobbing, and says, you know, how could I do it? How could I shoot you? And he goes on to say, without you, I'll always be nothing. This is one of those rare things where... I disagree with what they're saying. I think the reason why they said that is Nishiki relies so much on Kiryu. They've always been there to have each other. And that's something, that trust that they've built and all the experiences they've gone through, those memories that they built together. Even if someone's gone, I don't think it takes away from it. I don't think it brings it down to nothing. It is worth something. And I think that they rely on each other so much that a part of them is going to die when one or the other person dies. Well, you can kind of see that with Kazuma. I mean, he's not dead. He's in prison. But mm-hmm. Kiryu is still acting out of concern, loyalty to mm-hmm. Kazuma. So even though he's not there, he's still made an impact mm-hmm. on his life and formed him into who he is. Even if one of them is dead, they're still going to be connected, mm-hmm. like you were saying. So I want to talk about just a little bit of their background and then how this game sort of, I don't know, tears it apart. So like we've said, like they've grown up together, they've lived together, and I think they've even made choices together, you know, joining in the Yakuza, until Kiryu's framed. And at this point, Kiryu goes off on his own. They're no longer together. They're not making decisions together. And I think at this point, it's just like a a brutal like reality call for them that even though they've lived their lives together, their lives are still their own. They can't make the same choices in every situation. So at this point, Kiryu asks Nishiki to just basically forget about this whole thing and says that he's got to go to Kamurocho. And Nishiki's like, you can't. They're going to kill you for sure. He ends their oath as sworn brothers out of protection for Nishiki. Kiryu gets in Nishiki's car drives away, and then Nishiki screams into the night sky. So after all that, Kiryu just leaves Nishiki stranded in the woods. Nishiki just said that he has no idea where they are. He just kept driving. He has no way to get home. Why did Kiryu just abandon this man in the woods? I think, again, Kiryu is trying to distance himself away from Nishiki, it was too much of a risk already to be seen with him. I don't know that there's necessarily like a deeper meaning to him leaving him there. I just think it's 
it's funny. They just had this giant moment, this heart to heart. And then he just like leaves him there in the middle of nowhere, steals his car and his lighter, and just leaves him sobbing in the dirt. I'm curious now, going back to the Kashiwagi Nishiki nod, I'm going to call it the nod plan. Was this part of their nod plan? Mm -hmm. Did Kashiwagi send Nishiki to go find Kiryu? I could see that happening. Like, I could see him saying, you know, tail Awano, get Kiryu, get him out of Kamurocho, we got to keep him safe. But do you think Kashiwagi asked Nishiki to kill Kiryu? What do you think their nod plan was? I'm thinking that either the nod was to let's get Kiryu out of here and let's hide Mm -hmm. him somewhere. I don't know, you know, like if all or any of what Nishiki did was part of the nod Mm -hmm. plan. But I think that after seeing what Nishiki has been going through, Kiryu has realized that acting on accountability like he has been doing so far, it's just not the right move. And I think now, for the first time, he's not going to be acting on accountability. He's going to be acting for the people he cares about. Especially his line, I want to see for myself how far I can take it. It indicates that he no longer, he originally didn't care what happened to him. As long as he made things right for Kazuma, he didn't care if he died. But now he wants to live. You know, he said, I want to see how far I can get this life you gave me. So I feel like this is the moment where he sort of changes uh, his approach. I want to build on that. We're building. So one of the themes I had is Mm -hmm. rebirth. And so the overall theme is that you're recreating yourself that the whole alpha change and acknowledging that you're not Yakuza, but he's starting to become his Mm -hmm. own person. That's the rebirth of it. And the second thing is that if they end things here, the Reaper starts with the first thing he does is taking Nishiki's car and leaving. Yeah, maybe it's just like a, just leaving leaving it all behind, you know, leaving that past version of himself behind. Mm-hmm. So the second theme I have is the whole not being Yakuza enough. And we kind of touch on that with Kuze just again showing what he thinks it means to it and what Majima mm-hmm. thinks it means and everything. So we have a general idea of what it means for them. But in a way, for all three of them, Majima, Nishiki, and Kiryu, they're constantly feeling not adequate enough to reach that level of it. Majima just trying his hardest to go back into it. And Nishiki just thinking that without mm-hmm. Kiryu, I'm nothing. And if he's nothing, that means he's not Yakuza enough. And then Kiryu as we talked about it, just thinks that he's not enough. There's so many, like, connections that you can make in mm-hmm. this scene. It's it's a huge, huge scene so mm-hmm. early in this game. This is chapter 6 of 17. You know, we're not even halfway through, and this is a huge scene. And it's so well done. And the fact that they could get away with the scene this big so early on and not let us down in the rest of the game, it's just such good writing. Tying it back to the chapter title of, uh, what is it, the Yakuza way. If they can't even be Yakuza, how do they know, like, or if they, maybe it's the other way around, mm-hmm. is they know the Yakuza life and the Yakuza way, but they know that they no longer align with that. I feel like we see multiple reasons, multiple ways to be in the Yakuza in this chapter. We see Kuze, who says, 
he just wants to stay alive, you know. And then Awano later mentions that Kuze wants to live like a proper Yakuza. So we have Kuze, who's a little bit more by the book. And then we have Awano. And for him, it's a job, he says. It's his means to get the good life he wants. We see different ways to be a Yakuza. Is all of these, like, different views different strategies of being in the Yakuza is that a root cause of the conflict that we're seeing within the family right now you know just different people pulling the same strings according to their own wants that just made me think that maybe there is a different the Yakuza way all these standards were really set by a generation older which is Kuza's generation Kazama's generation and then you have this next generation of young bloods their way of doing things is a mm-hmm. new yakuza way so in a way i feel like it's it is the yakuza way in a new light yeah and then you just you just gave me a theory and idea so maybe like the yakuza way is just what you're ordered to do you know and depending on who orders it it's a different set of rules so maybe the yakuza way is just whatever the people with the power make it so this is the and I even put stars next to it. Too. Oh no, not the stars breaking out the stars. <laughs> yes, but this is this is about Mashiki and and I think as we're watching this, it's so easy to go into the perspective of like feeling for Kiryu and his point of view and focusing on him. But I think we've sometimes failed to recognize that this hurts Nishiki too. Like we know from the voice acting, we know everything. It's the fact that if Nishiki was the one who had to end Kiryu, this would yeah. devastate him. Nishiki would always live knowing that he was the reason why Kiryu is not here. And he, he has in a way to be so selfless to kill his best friend and to live with that. We fail to recognize how much damage this is going to do to Nishiki in the future. It's good that Sure, Kiryu sur- survived. That's good. But we don't recognize how important it is for Nishiki to live with himself because he's just going to struggle for the rest of life. That's an excellent point because I don't think he was planning to leave this confrontation alive. I think if he killed Kiryu, he would have killed himself too. I think that was his plan personally. And so... What you're saying about him and now having to live with this realization that that's what he was going to do. He was going to kill Kiryu. He wasn't expecting to have to live with that. And so, yeah, I think that does have a huge effect on him moving forward. Now that you say that, and and first tying it back to the lighter, which is why... He didn't ask for it back. He didn't, yeah, because he knew what's the point. So that's all I have for my notes. Oh, man. I mean, I feel like (laughs) we just quoted like every line in this scene. But the truth is, every single quote has so, like, just such deep meaning to it. Like, how could we not? This is the chapter. From now on, this game goes 100 miles per hour. It does not slow down. It does not stop. And I agree, because as someone who just is completely unfamiliar with video games, and before, like, even starting this, I didn't realize video games had stories, but experiencing this type of video game for the first time the first five chapters took me some time to kind of get used to this mm-hmm. format but it was after the sixth one after the scene just like the 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 drop from a roller coaster i didn't realize how good video games are and it's it was more than a drama or a tv show or anything there was just so much good content so much 
thought behind it. It's just so well done. It's almost as if your favorite TV show and movie combined on steroids mm-hmm. into something that you can watch it and be part of and play the games and so well done, so worth it. And if I ever have to explain why I'm into video games, it's because of this game. Yeah, it's it's like a TV show except that you control the characters. And that's why I said, like, if you haven't finished the game, go play it because there's just an added element. There's more depth when you're controlling these characters. When things happen to them, you f- you just feel it more than if you're just just watching it. You're controlling them. They're a little bit of an extension of you. I'm exhausted now. Me too. <laughs> Cannot wait to get our blizzards <laughs> from Dairy Queen. <laughs> exactly. So wait, should we stop our audio? Yeah. On one, okay? Three, two, one.